Welcome to the Kingdom Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jamie Dixon. For more great content, visit klcmaine.com. You guys ready? Um, I just got something um, I feel like is small but important, uh, small but mighty to give um, this morning. And if you guys have your Bibles, go with me to Proverbs chapter 3. Um, <clears throat> this morning, I... Uh, I'm going to try not to be spicy. Um, be spicy. Um, I, w- I want to talk about three foundational beliefs it's time to bind ourselves to. Um, I, I want to talk, uh, you know, I, you know there's, I think that there's certain thresholds of truth um, that we must cross over in our understanding. I think sometimes we're playing patty cake with truth. And it's time to, like, put a ring on it. You get what I'm saying? Like there's truth about who God says that you are, and we're like, we believe it depending on the season. Um, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3 says, Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart, and you will find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and with man. You know, I, I think that uh, it's time that we stop dating truth and it's time that we start marrying it, that we make a covenant to truth and that we bind it to our hearts as an immovable constant in our life. Um, you know, yes, yesterday um, during the vocational track, we have, you know, these, these uh, Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry students from all over the world, and um, some of them are feeling called to full-time ministry and so they do these vocational tracks for worship leaders, children's pastors, um, people that want a church plant, be pastors, and, and uh, youth pastors and everything. And they have these tracks that they go through in preparation. They put them all together in one room. And we were doing some training with people that feel called the full-time ministry as somebody who's a pioneer, who's been in leadership, um, and somebody who is not doing it in the Bethel context, right? And so I, I was sharing yesterday, and, and afterwards there were some Q&A times, and um, you know, uh, one of the things I did yesterday was I kind of introduced my story, right? I planned a church at the age of 18 out of a high school revival, and this is what God has done, and these are some of the lessons of 18 years of ministry that God has shown me. And so, of course, whenever I share my testimony, when I'm in a group of people, and like, there's a Q&A time after, people are always asking, how did you have the maturity at the age of 18 to plant a church? And I know that they're like expecting me to come like hours in the presence of God, Right, and I know what they're expecting, um, but my answer usually surprised them because they go, "How did you have wisdom to, to like be a pastor of a church at 18?" And I go, "Oh, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't have wisdom. Uh, wisdom was developed over time. I didn't have wisdom, but I was willing." And when obedience to the Lord will make you always look smarter than you really are. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Obedience to the Lord looks really good on you. I mean, it has the appearance of wisdom, um, but it is the process of the development of wisdom in your life. What does it say that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? And, and, I, and I just began to say them as, as I said, you know, the only thing unusual for me at the age of 18 
was not my wisdom. It was my willingness to say yes. That was unusual. I, I, I will confess that. But the reason why I had an unusual ability to say yes at the age of 18 is because my parents raised me in an immovable truth of saying yes to the Lord. My parents never not once in our life ever modeled no as an option. Never. Like I, we moved all over the place because mom had a dream and then a prophetic word came and then the doors opened and doors closed and God was moving and license plates would drive in front of cars and say, see you here. You know what I mean? And just all this kind of stuff. And, 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 I, and I'd be like nine years old and at home and mom comes home and dad comes home and you go, you wouldn't believe this other prophetic confirmation. We got God is calling us in this moment to go do this. And we would literally take every over and over and over and over, take a risk of faith and pack the bags and move and leave what is comfortable and familiar and get in a car and go somewhere that's unknown and unfamiliar say yes to the Lord. You know, and so growing up, no was never modeled to me as an option to the Lord. I remember being a young pastor at the age of 18, and I remember that I actually had a young person that actually saw the sick healed, and they saw incredible miracles, and they were having encounters with God. Speaking of sick healed, was it Brian House? Dude, your arm got healed during? (laughs) Come on. Come on, let's thank God. Come on. Come on. Woo! Come on. So, you know, I remember, you know, at 18, I remember, like, actually having a young person that was, like, genuinely encountering the Lord, laying hands on the sick and seeing them healed, having this incredible prophetic word, and I saw them say no to the Lord and, like, walk away from the Lord and go choose a worldly route. And I remember sitting with my friend Matt and going, I never knew no was an option. I know it's not an option, is it? You know, <laughs> no as an option is such a facade. It's not, it's not an option. We forfeited our no a long time ago. I'm saying this all to say is that for, for me, because of the way that my parents raised me, obedience to the Lord was a truth that was bound around my neck. It, it was a reality that was more real to me and following the word of the Lord, even when it didn't feel like it, was, was a reality for me that, wa- that far surpassed any other reality that you could ever present to me. The circumstances all around me could never get me to change my answer is always yes. It's always yes. And, and I say that to say is that it's time for us to cross some of the thresholds of truth and bind ourselves to some fundamental truths in our lives and stop playing games with them. I mean, the truth is not a season. I mean, the truth is not contextual. It's not subjective. Truth, um, truth doesn't change with circumstances. Truth is immovable and it is constant. It actually, truth is more real than the things that we are experiencing. The, the reality is, is many of our circumstances are illusions, but truth never changes. And, uh, and I want to give us this morning, they're not all the truths. 
They're not, I'm not going to go down the line of this is what we have to like now believe and stop not believing him. There's just three things that I feel like are really important that we cross the threshold of this and we never look back on believing these three things. Is that all right? You ready for them? All right. Number one, we actually have it seen right down. I was uniquely made to demonstrate the power of God in and through my life. Every one of you. No one gets to escape this truth. You were uniquely made by God to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit in and through your life. You are the wisdom of God for the world. He crafted you to contain the very essence of his own self and nature, to radiate his glory to the world around you. We are living in a broken and fallen world, and the wisdom of God for humanity is you. You we owe the world an encounter with God. I'm going to say that again. No one gets to escape any of these. these. These are thresholds that we have to cross. You're not the unique one that doesn't fit into this truth. You were created to demonstrate the glory of God through your life. No season gets to determine whether that's true or not. No circumstance gets to override this truth is that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. That word wonderfully means complete and lacking nothing. You were not made uniquely at a disadvantage. Your personality, the way that you think, the family that you were raised in, the society and the culture you come from has not made you uniquely impossible to demonstrate the power of God through your life. I don't care if you have an analytical mind and somebody else has a swirly creative mind and so they demonstrate it better than you and you're always wondering. God created you with, in the way that you are created wonderfully, lacking nothing. And that that way that he created you is for the purpose of demonstrating his glory. And anything that you feel like is actually an obstacle for you demonstrating his glory, it's probably not an obstacle. It's probably just something that you need to bring into familiarity and let God redeem it and show you how he's going to use it for his glory. You are a glory-filled Trojan horse sent into an enemy's camp. You're just full of glory. Mobilized into society full of glory to demonstrate his, his nature. Go with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 20. Did you know that when, you know, in, in Psalms where it says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? Wonderfully means you lack nothing, but you know what fearfully means? God did not make you with trembling hands. Fearfully made, actually, the, the literal meaning of the word fearfully here means to be created for the purpose of causing awe and astonishment of Yahweh. The very literal meaning to be fearfully made is that you are a precious creation created with the very purpose of, of causing astonishment in Yah of Yahweh. Did you know that your life was created for it to be a very visual resemblance of the glory of God. And that when people would look at you, they would look at you and go, God is great. Did you know that? I feel God right now. It, 
Go with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 20. I got to go there. Time out. Romans 8, verse, uh, verse 20. Uh, let's go to 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which is about to be revealed in us. Isn't that good news? Man, I consider the sufferings of this present time. I wish more of us thought like the Apostle Paul. Wouldn't it be awesome if our mind immediately through suffering went through, well, you know what? This suffering kind of stinks, but I, I, it fails in comparison to the glory that's about to be revealed. Shannon and I are like regularly, I don't know if she's going to talk about this tonight, but we are regularly right now trying to, to like work truth into the soul of our being in this way. That when we're going through difficulty or trials, we are constantly confessing with our lips, man, the glory that's going to get revealed in this moment is going to be awesome. How many of us know sometimes it takes days and weeks for us to come to that reality? Or sometimes it's when the glory comes, we go, wow, man, God really shows glory then. We don't really... It's more like our, our like encouragement is hindsight. <laughs> How many of us know God wants to get us quickly there, quickly aligned with truth to confess, man, the glory that's about to be revealed far surpasses the, the stuff we're going through right now. <clears throat> this is verse 19. For earnest expectation of the creation eagerly is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. This is all creation is groaning and waiting for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. For creation subjected futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because creation itself will be delivered. It doesn't say can be. Might be. It says creation itself will be delivered. From the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. It goes on and it says, For we know that all, all creation is groaning and laboring, laboring with birthing pains together until now. Not only that, but we have the first fruit of the Spirit and groaning within ourselves. Did you know that the first fruit of what all creation was destined to experience, the first fruit begins in you? And not only that, but it says that it is the wisdom of God. Creation has been subjected to futility. What? Creation has been subjected to the spiritual battle and bondage of sin and brokenness. And it is right now currently existing under the pain and the weight and the brokenness of the fall of man and the corruption of our carnal nature. It says creation, all creation is under this right now. He's saying, but God did that in hope. That creation would get delivered into the same liberty as the children of God. For all creation is groaning and waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Why? Because creation is going to get delivered into their liberty. What does that mean? That God in his infinite wisdom has placed us in a position that we would experience the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. And it would be our responsibility to give that demonstration away, to share it with the world who is currently under the same imprisonment that we were once under, that is now our responsibility. We were created with the ability. We were created for the purpose of demonstrating that glory. 
Guys, this is an inescapable truth. I'm shy. Well, I feel like this is a me season. I'm so glad. I understand that you might be in a season, but that truth is not in a season. This might be the season for you to pick up a hobby and like nurture your soul with a hobby. I don't know what that was, but that's nurturing your soul. It's just loving touch of my soul. Like, I just, I don't know what that was. I'm sorry if that made anyone uncomfortable. That was me loving myself, okay? This is a season of me loving myself. I told you it could get weird. I was on a red eye. Calm down. Filter's gone, right? But listen, this might be a me season. Your season doesn't change this truth. You owe the world an encounter with God, and you were created with the purpose to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit in the world. Is that all right? All right. We're not going to play games of that truth anymore. That is a constant reality that we're all being invited to bind that truth around our neck. Here's the second thing. You ready? It is God's good pleasure to pour out his spirit on my life. It is God's good pleasure to pour out his spirit on my life. In John 3, 34, it says that God gives his spirit without measure. What does that even mean? I want to be careful. Did you know that Scripture gives us permission for expectations of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to supersede what's been written? If we... uh, I, I need you guys to understand like how sacred this text is to me. And I'm not saying this like, like just off the top of my head. But if we use the experience and the history of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as a measurement, then we have actually limited what God can do because he said that he's going to give his spirit without measure. Jesus said that you will do even greater things than I. And he put no ceiling on that expectation. Did you know that it's God's good pleasure to pour out his spirit on your life? Did you know that that God's pleasure to pour out his spirit on your life has not been determined or measured by your accomplishments, your performance, your life, your circumstance, your family, your history, your teaching, your training. His ability to pour out his spirit without measure has been entirely been determined by his accomplishments. The entire purpose of the Father sending his Son was that you couldn't do it. And in your inability, the Father so loved the world, and he sent his Son to do what you could not do, but then share the reward with you. To become co-heirs of the same inheritance that would be shared with Jesus. I'm gonna, I'm, can I tell you a, a funny Steve Backlund story? All right, tell my wife this. I love this so much. Steve, Steve Backlund had shared the story with some of the Bethel leaders, and, um, and he, he said there, there's a mouse and an elephant were standing on this cliff, and they, there's, a, there's a wooden bridge in front of them. And the mouse and the elephant look at each other, and the elephant goes, 
you want to run across it? And the mouse goes, yeah. And a mouse and an elephant go running across this wooden bridge, and it shakes, and it trembles, and it sways back and forth. And they get to the other side, and they're like, whoa, that was awesome. And the elephant looks at the mouse and goes, yeah, we really shook that bridge, didn't we? How many of you guys know the Holy Spirit likes to shake every ground you walk on and then give you credit for it? Right? Listen, it's God's good pleasure to pour out a spirit on your life. Go with me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. <clears throat> you know, the, the, the key to actually experiencing more of the Holy Spirit, the, the key to experiencing more of the Holy Spirit is actually entirely removing yourself from the equation. Removing yourself from the equation entirely. Did, did you know that there's, there's no such thing as a dry season in the new covenant? There's no such thing as a dry season. There's no, there's no desert in the new covenant. There's only seasons that feel unfamiliar. Your soul might call it dry, but your soul only calls it dry because you are unfamiliar on how to extract what God is doing and sense his presence. But there's no such thing as a dry season because God pouring out his spirit is not seasonal. It's actually just like the cross of Jesus Christ is not seasonal. He doesn't in some seasons forgive and some seasons withhold. He doesn't in some seasons wash you clean and some seasons stare at your, your dirtiness. He, he doesn't do that. It, it is, um, he bears fruit in season and out of seasons. In all seasons of life, the work of Jesus Christ is continuing to accomplish things inside of you. And in the same way, in all seasons of life, he's pouring out his Holy Spirit. He doesn't withhold in some and pour out in others. I love that there's conferences, and I love that we experience the presence of God. But God doesn't pour out his Spirit more at Tenacious Love than he does on Tuesday afternoon. You only feel it more because you've been in the incubator of experiencing his presence for three days and you align your heart and your mind on how to actually feel and become aware and fully present in it so you experience more. You have to remove yourself from the equation because he's giving out his spirit without measure all the time. And it's his good pleasure to pour out spirit on your life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, are we all right? It says, but if the ministry of death written engraved on stones was glorious, it was... There was glory on it. So the children of Israel couldn't look steady at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was, that glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious than that? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness, which is the accomplishments of Christ, exceeds much more in glory. For even that was made glorious had no glory in respect. You hear what he's saying? He's actually saying when you actually think about what Jesus has made available, the covenant of righteousness that he's made with you and I, when you think about the glory that's available to you right now, he, he says, actually, it makes Moses' glory like no glory at all. Amen. Come on. It's, this is a truth we have to bind around our neck. That his presence is available in all seasons. That he wants to pour out his spirit without measure upon your life. That this is not a dry season. Get that lame confession out of your mouth and never say it again. There's no desert season. 
Even the most deserty feeling grief seasons are actually not a season absent of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It is a season that you are being invited to reposition your life to extract his presence from. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because the glory that excels. You see, the glory that excels. For what is passing away was glorious. What remains, everyone say remains. remains. It's much more glorious. You hear what he's saying? There was a glory that came on you and it would kind of fade away. That is not our glory. That's the old covenant glory. We have a new glory and it's the glory that remains. Which means it's not seasonal. It doesn't fade. It doesn't come off you. It's not a flash of the pan. It's not a conference high. There is a glory that Jesus purchased for you and I. It is a glory that remains. This is a truth that we got to bind around our neck. And when we feel that that is not true, we have to say, my feelings are liars. The presence of God is here and available right now. This is a, this is a truth. We've got to cross the threshold of this truth. I, I am not denying hardship, difficulty, or even the limitations of our human nature to have good days and bad days. I am not limiting that or speaking like, I'm not trying to create a threshold that can't be crossed. What I'm saying is, is there is truth and reality that we have to diligently press into to believe is far greater than what we are experiencing. Diligently confess it until I believe it. Declare things until it becomes reality. Actually wash my mind clean of, of everything that is at war with these truths. Declare them over myself until it's a reality. We have entered into a glorious covenant and God has offered his glory that remains. It's ever increasing. It goes on and it says, and we're going from glory to glory. It's always increasing. Can you do this with me? Can you, can you stop looking back at former experiences and creating it as a new, as a new finish line? that you want to return to. God doesn't want to bring you backwards. He wants to bring you into an ever-increasing glory. He doesn't want to bring you to a past experience from another high, from another moment. If I could just feel that again. I'm thankful for reference points that gives me faith in moments of difficulty, but that is not the finish line. God wants to give more glory. More glory. Last one. You ready? Go with me to Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37. This is the last one, is that my words carry life. Verse 1, the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? Don't you love that question? Did you know that God will partner with your faith? That God will ask you questions and he'll move in the capacity of your faith? Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered and I said, oh, Lord, you know. That's a cop out. (laughs) And again, he said to me, 
prophesy to the bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. For thus says the Lord to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you will live. He's looking at dry bones. He's looking at a graveyard. And he's saying, hey, bones, I know that you feel dry and dead, but life is coming. And I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin. And I will put breath on you and you will live. And then you will know that I'm the Lord. So I prophesied as I commanded. And as I prophesied, there became a noise. And suddenly a rattling and the bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them. And there was no breath in them. And he said to me, son of man, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the north, come from the south, come, O four winds, and breathe upon the slain that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded, and breath came in, and they lived and stood a mighty army. And he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Indeed, they say, our bones are dry and our hope is lost and we cut ourselves off. Therefore, prophesy and say, behold, my people, I will open your graves and I will cause you to come up from your graves and bring you to the land of Israel. And then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves. And then he says, uh, and I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will place you in your land. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and performed it. <clears throat> you, you know, um, did you know that one of the names of God, is this one mine? I don't, okay. All right, it's half drinking. I'm like, I haven't been here all morning. And... Did, you, did you know that one of the names of God is the God of hope? Did you know that, that engraved into the very DNA of hope is the nature of God, is life? <clears throat> Did you know that the message of the secular is anti-Christ? And everything that is absent of Christ produces death. Everything that is absent of Christ produces death. The war of the secular messaging of society to wage war on Christ's nature inside of us is a war on our hope. And so what we have is that we have a society and a people that have come into agreement with the messaging of an antichrist spirit in our culture and society. And I know this sounds so intense, right? But there is a very real spiritual reality that there is an antichrist nature that is trying to create a messaging system that will cause us to be resistant to the very DNA and nature of God and that we would resist truth. And everything that is absent of Christ will produce death. Everything. Family that is absent of Christ will produce death. Marriage that is absent of Christ will produce death. Uh, business, um, marketplace, the pursuit of wealth, when it's absent of Christ will produce death. The only thing that produces life is Jesus himself. He alone is life. There is no purpose for existence outside of himself is the centrality of the very reason why you are alive. You will die and you will go to heaven. 
and you will live there for eternity. And this breath is but a, a breath in the nostril, this life is but a breath in the nostril of God. This is literally a don't blink and you'll miss it moment. And this is our opportunity to experience God on this side of eternity and to bring everybody else into it. And everything that is absent of Christ will produce death. And the, sec- the message of the secular is antichrist and is at war with hope so that people will come out of knowledge and relationship with the God of hope. Is this making sense? And our words carry life. Our words carry life. Every encounter with God is infused with hope. And every encounter I offer the world carries the DNA of God and produces hope. Oftentimes when we are experiencing a difficult environment, it doesn't require confrontation. It requires prophecy. Oftentimes, you know, when we, are, when we are in a difficult situation or we see issues in the world, we want to confront the issues of the world. What we don't understand is that we're confronting death and we're using death to confront death. But did you know that you actually carry the words of life? And did you know that you could actually prophesy over dry bones and tell them what they're about to become without confronting them for giving up. Bones, you're dead. Why did you stop moving in the desert and fall to the ground and die? Why it actually says, this is the whole house of Israel. Their hope was lost and they, they themselves were cut off. So they stopped in the desert and died. And he comes on the valley of dry bones. He goes, they stopped moving. They're a valley of dry bones. And he doesn't go, Hey, you should have done a better job, you losers. Right? He doesn't go and say, if only you read your Bibles more, idiots. Right? He comes and he goes, hey, dry bones, you're about to come alive. Right? You do not have the ministry of death. You have the ministry of life. And we often think it's our responsibility to confront the death of society that's been created by an antichrist spirit that's produced death. But what we're not using is actually the very gift of life, the prophetic, which is the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy and he is resurrection life and every encounter with God produces hope. And if every encounter with God produces hope, then I can prophesy life to a people where hope has been cut off and hope will be restored. I carry the words of life and I've not been called the partner with the demonic assignment to cut off hope off a generation off of a state or off of a land i've been called to prophesy in the opposite spirit over my marriage i have been called to prophesy in opposite spirit over my children 
I've been called to prophesy an opposite spirit over my workplace. I've been called to actually look at my industry as my ministry and go into it feels like a valley of dry bones, which it feels like they're all at war with me, but they only feels like they're at war with me because I feel vulnerable because I don't know who I am. And so I feel like I'm coming under their environment. But if I really knew who I was and that uh, if we go back and we understand that I was created to demonstrate the power of God and it's God's good pleasure pour a spirit on my life and I carry the words of life, I'll go into my industry, I'll go into my marketplace and I'll recognize I'm not under their environment, they're under mine. And I get to step into the valley of dry bones and I don't join them in having hope cut off that I'm existing in this environment. I actually get to begin to prophesy life and begin to watch my workplace become a mighty army that begins to rise up because I know who I am. I know what I carry. I know that God's good pleasures pour a spirit. And I know that I was created for this moment to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit. And I owe them an encounter. That I am the wisdom of God that's been sent on assignment into my workplace. I'm not here to make money. I'm actually on a, actually a, a, a ministry assignment to go into this in place, a valley of dry bones and begin to prophesy because I carry the words of life. And when I prophesy, bones rattle. And when I prophesy according to my faith, God partners with me and wind begins to blow. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? These are, these, these are thresholds of truth that are not seasonal. That these are continual realities we have to bind ourselves around our neck. And as a people begin to actually pick up our assignment in the full awareness of who we are, God's desire to pour the spirit and what we carry and demonstrate it to a world that we owe an encounter with. The raging of your family, the raging of your workplace, the raging of your schoolmates, the raging of the people around you, please have eyes to see. It is all creation groaning and waiting for the revealing of sons of God because they are longing for the liberty that you are demonstrating in your life. Come on, how many of you guys know Jesus came to set the captive free, not to confront the captive? He came to give beauty for ashes, joy for mourning. And we have to stop partnering with death's decree and start decreeing life. We have to stop attaching our belief to the appearance of a situation and rise up with truth and declare life over it. Come on. I really, I mean, I have my thoughts and opinions about, you know, this coming vote and blah, blah, blah. And, but man, I'll tell you what, my hope is not connected to the outcome in any way, shape, or form. I will not limit God in that way. I'm going to prophesy life. I'm going to prophesy Tuesday is the beginning of revival and awakening in America. And no matter what the outcome is, I'm going to partner with that truth. Ooh, man. On Tuesday, America is going to wake up to the reality of Jesus. Come on. On Tuesday, someone's going to go to the polls thinking they're going to vote for their Messiah and they're going to have an encounter with Jesus. And then they're going to get radically set on fire for God. Tuesday is going to be a day that joy is deposited in this nation. 
Tuesday is going to be a good day. And whatever the outcome of it is, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's going to be a good day. You know what? I, you guys get what I'm saying? Come on, guys. We got we to partner with the decree of life over our nation and stop limiting God to circumstances. Come on, why don't you guys stand up with me?